disciples for Jesus Christ, here, near, and far. Here, as we share God's love in our homes, neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. Near, as we spread hope, compassion, and peace in Jesus' name regionally. And far, as we take the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide, in our daily lives, throughout our community, and in the most remote corners of the world, God is calling us to make him known, because the power of the gospel knows no bounds. Good morning, everyone. I'm excited that you and I get to be part of these next two weekends where we're talking about what God is doing, as we like to say, here, near, and far. And uh, I want you to make sure you take the opportunity to get to know our global partners. They've got these tables spread throughout the entire building, especially this front area, which makes the hallway kind of tight but kind of fun. And uh, I hope you just stop at the tables and find out who they are, what they do, how they're doing. Uh, especially if you are a giver here at Wooddale Church, because it's kind of like uh, evaluating the return on your investment. And uh, as we think about worldwide and our 80-plus global partners, and only a few are here this weekend and a few are next weekend, I'm wondering, do we have any of our global partners in the room right now? Would you stand, please? If you are... A global partner. All right, give it up. They are standing, believe it or not. See you guys up there. All right. They're, most, they're mostly in the balcony. I don't understand why, but that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So I'm, I'm glad they're here. But uh, I want you to know that not everyone is excited about missions. Not everybody is excited about evangelism and about bringing the hope of the gospel to people whether it's here or regionally or around the globe, especially in our secular society. There are a lot of people who, who don't like this idea of telling other people about Jesus Christ and calling them to convert, to change their lives over to him. And they're hateful, actually, uh, toward that whole attitude and that, whole, that idea and, and one of the reasons why is because they accuse Christians, they accuse missionaries in particular, of being cultural imperialists, which basically means they're saying about you and me, they're saying about our endeavors that, that what we're doing is we're going over to other cultures and we're, you know, we're, cha- we're forcing them to change and, and to leave behind you know, their heritage and their, their ancient beliefs and their gods or whatever their views are and... And we just have no right to impose on them our belief system. An example of this, a case in point, is from 2018. And you may have heard this story. I've actually talked about it before. An American missionary by the name of John Chow uh, was really burdened to reach a very remote tribe called the Sentinelese people. The Sentinelese people live on an island, the Sentinelese Island, that is just off the coast of India. And the Indian government forbids anybody from visiting that island. Leave the tribe alone. Let them, you know, 
practice whatever religion they have and, and you know, do culture the way they do it. Nobody should, should go there. It's illegal. And John Child just had this burden. He just felt like, you know, why should those people be deprived of the hope of the gospel? And so he paid some fishermen to actually take him to the island. And uh, eventually, after a couple of attempts of, uh, of being on the island, he actually made contact with the tribe. And nobody knows how many there are of the Sentinelese on that island. And when they met him, they killed him. And it was very brutal. And you would expect that there would be kind of a, uh, a sadness, there would be an um, expression of admiration of his courage to go and, and take the hope of the gospel to these people. But the response, uh, particularly from our secular society, was brutal. It, it, was, it was mean. It was, it was not very nice. And even in some Christian circles, I question uh, some of the rhetoric that I heard coming out of so-called Christians. Uh, there was anger toward John Chow. And it kind of went along three lines. One is, he should not have broken the law. He should have observed the law and stayed away from the island. Number two, uh, by making contact with them, you know, he, he could have introduced some pathogens to them that may have led to some kind of virus that would have wiped out the whole tribe. And number three, who was he to go and tell them about Jesus Christ? They have their own way of, of viewing the world. They have their own way, perhaps, of religion, of worship. Leave them alone. I remember years ago sitting down with a friend of mine. He's still a good friend. And uh, he's of the, uh, the Jewish belief, Judaism. And uh, he had spoken at our, our church, not this one, a different church, and had lectured uh, on uh, Israel, the geography, the land, the archaeology, did a great job. We were having dinner together, <clears throat> and he said to me, he said, Dale, he said, I don't understand why you evangelicals uh, have to go and try to convert people. He goes, we in Judaism don't try to convert Gentiles, so what's that all about? Which is a really good question, isn't it? And the way I want to ask that question is to ask uh, uh, a, a question. What do you think would have happened to this world if Jesus had said to his father, let's just leave the planet Earth alone. Let's just leave humanity <clears throat> to their own devices. Let's not get involved. Let's let them worship idols, false idols and demons and whatnot. What would have happened to this world? What would have happened to you? What would have happened to me? I am so glad that Jesus never thought or said that. I'm so glad that he came in order to reveal to us the love of God and the salvation that can be experienced through a relationship with him. So in many ways, when you think about Jesus, God's son, in many ways, he was a missionary, wasn't he? And listen, those who are his children, that's you and me, we are also called to be missionaries too. If you want to, you can put it in a statement like the one I have up here. That is that God's son was a missionary, and he expects those who follow his son to become missionaries too. In fact, just to get it into us a little bit more, would you read it out loud with me? God's son was a missionary, and he expects those who follow his son to become missionaries too. So guess what? This this weekend and next weekend, it's not about our 80 global partners. It's about you. You are all, if you're a follower of Christ, 
You are all, we are all God's missionaries. It's just that we have some of us that are involved in real specific ministries or we are doing missions in faraway places. The rest of us have been called, at least for this time, to be here, but we are all missionaries. Did you know that about yourself? Do you ever think about that? I know in some churches they have signs inside the worship center, and it says as you leave, if you look at the line, it says, you are now entering your mission field. I think most of the time those signs get ignored. They just kind of are there, right? Like wallpaper, nobody really pays attention to it. But that is the truth. We are all missionaries, and we are all called to go and do the work of missions. So what does that mean? What does it look like as a young person to be God's missionary at your school or at work, wherever you are, or in your neighborhood, or at the gym, or wherever it is that you do life? To answer that question, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to look at just a little portion of what's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And by the way, if you read John 17 carefully, you're in it as well. It wasn't just for his immediate disciples, but read it carefully. It talks about and those disciples in the future as well. So John 17, let's stand for the reading of God's word out of our respect for the word of God. And let me read it out loud as you follow along in your Bibles or just watching it on the screen. Jesus said, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. He's speaking to his father. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So what is a missionary? Well, if I look at the words of Jesus, I come up with this very simple definition. A missionary is someone who is sent to represent Jesus to others. Let's say it all loud together. A missionary is someone who is sent to represent Jesus to others. So when you students go to school, you go to school as missionaries. You go to represent Jesus to the student body, whatever school that you're a part of. The same thing is true for you and me when we go to work or go to play or go to a family function or whatever it might be. Jesus said... I have, in the verses we just, uh, earlier than what we just read in John 17, verse 6, he said, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. Now, another way to think about this is that we're all ambassadors. And what does an ambassador do? Well, an ambassador is somebody who leaves their country, goes to a foreign country in order to represent their home country. They represent them in their politics. They represent them in their values. They represent them in their lifestyle. They represent them in their worldview. So that that foreign nation will understand what that home country is really like. Well, you and I are ambassadors of God's kingdom. We are ambassadors who are in this world. That's why God leaves us here. To represent him. His values. To represent his love. To represent his message, to represent his courage, to represent his hopes, 
We are here so that people get a really clear picture of who Jesus is, both individually and collectively as a church. Now, I could get really negative at this point, and I could say, you know, a lot of Christians have done a very poor job of imaging Jesus, particularly here in our culture. But I don't want to go down that path. And rather than going down that path, the path I want to take is to say, let's step up to the plate. Let's decide that from now on, individually and collectively, as far as we're concerned, we're going to do the best we can to represent our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen to that? You didn't sound very convincing, but I'll, I'll try to believe you, all right? This is our job. Look, let's, look at what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So once again, students of school, adults, all of us, wherever we go, we, we've been given this job as missionaries to represent him, and in particularly this message of reconciliation. He says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We are his ambassadors. We are called by God to represent him. And what's our message? Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Our message is the good news that through Christ, people can be saved eternally. That's what we're here to represent, and that's what we are here to ultimately communicate. I mean, think about, think about what Jesus brought to the world in his message. I mean, because of his message, the lost could now become found. The broken could now become whole, W-H-O-L-E. And sinners could now have the status of being holy. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've experienced that in your life. And how can we keep that to ourselves? Our job is to make that known to others. Well, that's a big task and a big challenge. And the sad news is the world, the world is not in favor of that message. I mean, Jesus made it clear, and we saw it in his, in his prayer. That the, he says that the world hates them because of me. John 15 talks about that, that the world will hate you because of me. If it hates you, it's because it hates me. Why does the world hate this message of the gospel? Why does the world not want us increasingly, more and more? Why, did, why is it the world doesn't want us to talk about this message? I could give you a couple reasons. First of all, because it's exclusive. It's exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, not one of many ways, but I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to Father but through me. So there's not many roads. There's not this wide road. There's this very narrow path. And there's just one door, and that is your relationship with Christ. And people don't want to hear that. They don't mind if Jesus is one way of many ways. Or if Jesus is willing to accept all ways, they don't want to hear that there's only one way. And if you don't, if you don't follow that way, that you're going to spend an eternity in hell. They don't want to hear that. A lot of people believe in heaven. A lot of people do not believe in hell. But just because I refuse to believe in something does not mean it doesn't exist. 
I'll give you a second reason why people don't like this message. Why students are challenged at school if they're Christians, or why you're challenged. It's because of the word authority. Authority. All of us like to be in charge of our lives. How many of you will admit to that besides me? It's a 12-step meeting. Let's all raise our hands, all right? We all do. We struggle with that all the time, don't we? We struggle with authority. Here's the weird thing, right? I want to be in charge of my life, and sometimes the only way I can really be in charge of my life is if I'm also in charge of your life. You ever notice that? If I could just get everybody to view things my way, this would be a happy, peaceful world. And so we're always in conflict with each other, right? And, and, and so that's why people have a hard time with Jesus, because, because they don't like his authority. They don't like the fact that he says, and I have to submit and bow down to who he is and to what he says. That doesn't sit well. So increasingly, there's this, there's this pressure all right, on your students, on you, on me, there's this pressure to just keep quiet, to keep our faith to ourselves. But if we're followers of Christ, we can't do that. We have to defy the cultural pressure that says, be silent. We even may have to get to the point, as many Christians around the world do, where we have to defy the authorities over us, the government who says, you can't. Because ultimately, we bow down to Christ. He's our ultimate authority. So what, what is it that gives us the chutzpah, the, the courage, the, the belief that we sometimes, you know, despite what, what people say to us, what, what gives us the ability, the courage to say, but I have to speak about Christ? And the answer is relationship a relationship with Christ. What I'm saying is this. If you're in a true relationship with Jesus, you can't keep your mouth shut. You've got to talk about it because, because of what you've experienced in that relationship. It's so real. It's so powerful. It's been so life-changing. Imagine if you discovered the cure to cancer. And you were told, keep the cure to yourself. And your spouse got the cancer, your kid got a cancer, your neighbor got a cancer, your friend got the cancer. Could you keep it to yourself? Of course not. Why? Because you know it'll save their life. That's the gospel. We know the gospel will save and change lives. It's the only hope of this world. I mean, look at our world today. Every other avenue is just going down the road to chaos and trouble. If you want proof that the world's ways doesn't work, just read the news. Just look at what's happening. Only God's way works because that's how God wired the world to be. So here's a question for you. Are you his missionary? Are you on mission with God? What does it even mean to be on mission with God? In the few minutes we have left, I want to answer that. There are three signs in the passage of what it means to be on mission with God, to know as a student, as an adult, you are his missionary. And here's the first one. To be on mission with Jesus is to be filled with joy. Say it with me. To be on mission with Jesus is to be filled with joy. Not joy, all right? But joy, but joy. What does that mean? To be filled with joy. Well, look what Jesus said. We already looked at this passage, but again, he said, I'm coming to you now. He's talking to his father. 
But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of whose joy? My joy within them. So the question is, well, what is his joy? What is this joy, this full measure joy? Because you got to remember the context is the world that hates them. What is this full measure of joy? Let's answer scripture with scripture. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, you read this. The writer says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the what? Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Now, the context is these, these Christians are, are experiencing hostility from sinful people which they used to be, but now they're believers, and they're experiencing a lot of pressure. And he's saying, don't forget Jesus. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And remember, he was filled with joy because of something. Well, what was the something? Well, he tells us it was our salvation. It was our rescue. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture I read in my quiet time a couple weeks ago. It's found in Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to what it says. But it was the Lord's good plan, emphasis, good plan, to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Well, let me ask you a question. What is good about being crushed? What is good about experiencing grief? Where's the joy in suffering? Where's the joy in, in being beaten and being crucified? Where was our Lord's joy? Where was the goodness? And the answer is simple. You. You were his joy. You were worth being crushed. You were worth being crucified. You were the trophy. You mattered more to God than his own life. Now, if that is true, it should just boggle our minds. It should, just, it should knock us off the pew, so to speak. It should just leave us in awe and wonder. And if it's not true, then this is a big joke. This is the worst job I've ever had. And you are wasting your time today being here. But if it's true, it doesn't get better than that. To think that in this very unloving world, you are loved so much that God would go to that great length for you and me. And see, listen, that, that's the joy he puts in us. That's why we can't keep our mouths shut. Because if I've really experienced Christ living in me, then I, I see any suffering I might experience, any pushback I might experience, any persecution I may go through to get the message out, I, I'm, I, I, I don't care. Because the joy of seeing one person come to faith makes it all worthwhile. Now, I've got to ask you a tough question because I ask it to myself. You have that kind of joy living in you. And I think a lot of us are going to have to do some soul searching here because 
Because I think we struggle with that. And if, if I don't have that kind of joy in me, it's either because I'm not born again, so I don't have Christ living in me. How can I have that joy? Or I'm backslidden. Have you ever heard that word? You don't hear that much anymore. Backslidden. See, what does that mean? Oswald Chambers, I've been listening to his devotionals, and uh, he's got one where he talks about the backslidden state. Sounds like a dance, but it's not, all right? To be backslidden, okay, simply means that I, it's kind of like I dropped Jesus over here and I picked someone or something else up and made that the most important thing in my life. That's what it means to be a backslidden Christian. I kind of left Jesus behind. And I think some of us are backslidden this morning. Some of us have embraced, you know, money. We've embraced politics. We've embraced celebrityism. We've embraced social media. We've embraced our job, our career. We've embraced something else to give us some sense of fulfillment. And, and so we're not, we're not on Jesus' page. We're not on his agenda. It's, it's, he doesn't matter to us. The world has taken over, kind of like the seed that falls on the ground, you know, and at first it, it blossoms, Jesus said, and then the weeds crowded out, the, the cares of life choke it out. Do you have that joy in your life? To be on mission with Jesus means to have that joy in your life. Tim Keller said this, I thought it was really good. He said, if there's no higher cause than me, then there can be no mission." When we exaggerate our significance, we lose our significance. We live in a me world. We live in a highly individualized world. It's all about me. And when it becomes all about me, we lose our significance. It's not all about me. It's all about who? It's all about Jesus, isn't it? Can I ask you a question? Do you, listen, do you honestly believe that in your heart this morning? Students, do you believe it? Moms and dads, singles, do you believe it? It's all about Jesus? Or has it become all about you? Can't be on mission if it's all about you or all about me. Number two, I got to hurry. Being on mission with Jesus comes from encountering God's presence in worship. Let's say that together. Being on mission with Jesus comes from encountering God's presence in worship. Because if you don't have an encounter with God, it's kind of hard to go out there and face the world. Let's look at how this plays out in Scripture. You know, there's this guy named Isaiah. He was a priest. And he went into the temple one day, and he encountered God, and it really wrecked his life. He says to us in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he said, the way, he said, I encountered God, and what came out of his mouth was, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is a guy who's been a priest for a while, okay? He's been like doing the business of God. <clears throat> and, then, and then all of a sudden he has this encounter with God, and he's like shaking. He says, I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So, oh my goodness, I've just encountered God, and I just... You know, I just realized how sinful I am. It's dark in this room right now. If we turn all the lights up, like total brightness, you begin to see that there's some dirt in this room. I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm talking about on the carpet, all right? I'm talking about on the walls, all right? You realize there's dirt in this room. Why? Because the light got so bright. And like Isaiah, like the light gets really bright and he realizes what a sinful man he is. And I love this. It says that one of the seraphim flew to me having, his hand, having in his hand a, a burning coal that he used and he, and he took it with tongs and he touched my lips. 
He says, behold, the, the seraphim said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You're forgiven, Isaiah. Amen. And then God says, I need somebody to go on a mission for me. And Isaiah goes, I'll go. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Why? Because I've just been liberated. I've just been forgiven. I just encountered God. And, Jesus, and, and God says to him, good. And by the way, you're going to preach to a bunch of people who will not listen to you. Probably stuck his hand up too fast. How would you like, I mean, how would you like to go with the mission of preaching the gospel to people who you are told will not listen to a word you have to say? What compelled him to go to such stubborn people? His encounter with God. That's what compelled him to go. What compelled David to take on Goliath in 1 Samuel 17? He tells us it was his encounter with God when he was watching the sheep and the goats and the bear and the lion came in. God gave him the strength to overcome them. He knew God would give him the strength to overcome the giant. What compelled Abraham to leave his whole family and, and possessions and culture behind and go to a place he'd never been to before and to have a family that would be more than the sands on the seashore? What compelled him to do it? He had an encounter with God. What compelled a teenage girl named Mary to give her body over to God, to believe that she would conceive the Messiah by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Savior of the world? It was her encounter with God to the angel. And I could go on and on and on through scriptures. You cannot be on mission with God if you haven't first encountered God. Why? Because unless you have the encounter with God, you will always be overwhelmed by the size of the challenge that you face. That's why Paul says, and he reminds us, greater is he that is in you than what? He that is in the world. God is bigger than any obstacle or challenge you and I are ever going to face. The question is, do we believe it? Do we actually, sincerely, and earnestly believe it? To be on mission means I have Christ's joy. To be on mission means I'm operating out of my encounter with God each day. And finally... To be on mission with Jesus means you look like Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in the verse? Go back to John 17. He said, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Notice the word as. Just as I went into the world. I'm sending them into the world. But listen, he's not sending you and I simply to represent him to the world. He's actually going in us into the world because where does Christ live? He lives in us through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. What do you look like? What do I look like when we go like Jesus into the world? Well, look what it tells us about how Jesus came into the world in Luke chapter 24, verse 19. It says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, finish it with me, a prophet Mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. Let's say it together out loud, starting with concerning. Ready? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. Now, this may first crush you before it liberates you. Here's what I mean by that How do you, how do you personally go to school? Go to work, go to family functions, go into this world. How do you go mighty in deed and mighty in power? 
is not by having great strategies. It's not by having great training manuals. It's not by your degree. It's not by your looks or your talents or your ability. It's not by our big building or by having great music and media and programming. As important as all those, as all those things can be, the way you go forth in great power and in great deed is in personal holiness. And that's why the church largely has become so ineffective in America today. We lack personal holiness. It's lacking in the character of so many Christians. It's lacking in their courage. It's lacking in their love. It's lacking in their obedience. It's lacking in their humility. We have compromised in so many areas of our lives. We've compromised so much with sin and in the world that though outwardly we have great structure, inwardly we're hollow. We are trying to do the work of God in our own strength. And it's just, look at, well, look at our country today. Why do you think America is the way it is today? Don't blame unbelievers for it. It comes to our footsteps at the church. We've been fiddling around, playing games, instead of realizing whose we are and who we are in Christ. I told you it was going to crush you at first. But here's what liberates you. All of us today have the potential, have the opportunity to become mighty in word and mighty in deed if what? If we will, if we'll get personally clear about aligning ourselves in submission and absolute obedience to Christ and making sure our lives are submissive to him. Remember what Jesus said over in John? He said, make them what? Holy by your truth. See, the truth of God, his person and his words make us holy. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. Finish it with me out loud. So they can be made holy by your truth. Isn't that interesting? There's so much today in our culture about truth. You know, you got your truth, I got my truth. But we believe there's only one truth. His name is Jesus. And I have a relationship to the truth. And guess what? I get to speak the truth. How does, this, how does this work out in a missionary's life? Let me quickly tell you two stories. Give me five more minutes. I want to tell you a story about some local missionaries. They're, they're partners of us, uh, of, of Wooddale, because we're very involved in supporting Steiger, which Adam alluded to earlier, which is trying to reach the youth culture of the world and, and they're doing it right here, and they're doing it at the University of Minnesota. It's one of the places. And Felipe and Allison are Steiger missionaries, and they're trying to reach these students for Christ, and they're doing it by building relationships with them. And, and Felipe and Allison seek every day to be filled with the joy of the Lord, to be ministering out of an encounter with God, to, to, to be speaking and working in the might of his deeds and the might of his word. And God's opening doors, and God recently opened a door into the life of a young lady by the name of Daphne. That's not her real name. And uh, Daphne is super smart, speaks multiple languages, but is syncretistic in religion. She believes in lots of religions. And she's struggling with sexual identity issues. And just, they just have been loving on her mighty in deeds, just, just 
being a friend to her, but they've been also aching and praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with her. And recently they encountered her and they went and had coffee together and they were praying, please, Lord, we, we love her. We want to be your friend, but please give us an opportunity to share the gospel. And Philippe and Allison said within 10 minutes, man, the whole, whole conversation went toward the things of the gospel. And then they said goodbye and they went on their way and kept praying and aching and praying. And then a guy by the name of John Odom, you all know who John Odom is, he's our campus pastor at the Avenue, contacted Felipe, who does worship, and says, hey, would you come lead worship at our first service? Felipe said, sure. And then Felipe said to Allison, why don't we invite Daphne to come? So they reached out and invited Daphne to come, and she, she showed up. And they had that service at the Avenue, and afterwards, Daphne had such a great time, she invited Felipe and Allison to spend the rest of the afternoon with her. Now, I'd love to tell you she's since made a profession of faith, but as far as I know, she has not yet. But Daphne's just one example of many that they're trying to reach and are reaching because they're filled with the joy of the Lord, they're living out of their encounter with God, and they're trying to be Jesus, mighty in deed and mighty in word. Let me tell you another story. The story is of Sanj. I'll give him that name. Sanj uh, is one of those people you'll meet in heaven one day that has been actually blessed because of you, and you don't even know it. You know, one of our initiatives is to plant 30,000 churches in a part of the world where less than 1% of the people know Jesus. Sanj has received the good news of the gospel because you give generously to Whitdale Church, and over 22% of what you give, what we, give as, what we take in as a church, goes out to reach people for Christ. So one day, some of the people who've been trained because of your giving came to his village where there's about 90 households, that's roughly around 300 people. And they were looking for somebody who would listen to them, share the gospel. And Sanj, whose heart was kind of tender, was open to listening. And he was so close to giving his heart to Christ, but he said, I'm afraid to do it. He said, in another village a ways over that's much larger, he said, I know a man who gave his life to Christ and he gets persecuted every day and I don't want to go through that. So they left him a Bible, and they said, well, read this Bible. So he started reading the Bible in the New Testament, and, and he says, you know, as I read more and more about Jesus, I just began to realize that, you know, the, the faith of Jesus, the, the teachings of Jesus are all about love, and my, my religion is all about hate. And he finally got to the point, he said, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know this Jesus in my life. And he told his wife, and she said, I want to know him too. So he asked these, we call them Timothys, right? Uh, like Paul, disciple Timothy, these are young new church planters, they came back and they led him and his wife to faith in Jesus Christ. And the secret got out really quick. And Sanj and his wife was called before the village tribunal and 300 members of the village. And he was threatened, if you don't renounce your Christian faith, we will beat you. He said, I will not renounce my Christian faith. And they beat him. He's had to appear before the council in the village of 300 three different times and been beaten savagely each time. On a daily base, Sanj gets slapped by people. But you know something? Because he stayed faithful and he stayed true, he's led two other families in his village to Christ and has now started his own little church. And despite the persecution, they just keep on keeping on. I want to read to you, this comes straight off my WhatsApp, my WhatsApp conversation I had with somebody I know who's working with Sanj. 
He said this, he said, when I asked him to tell me one reason why he would not renounce his faith, he replied, I have found such a loving father in God, I can never leave him. I feel nothing at all when they persecute me because I know that he is with me. That's what it means to be on mission. It means to be so aware of what God's done for me and so desire that other people experience it that you can slap me and I really don't feel anything. It means I have such a daily encounter with God that I'm going out, I'm going out from his presence with his presence. It means that, that because I am in alignment with him and I, I seek humbly to confess my sins and be in obedience to him, it means I'm going out with the might of his word, might of his deeds. Man, that's what missions is all about. That's what it means to be a missionary. Would you bow your heads with me? Can I ask you a question? Are you a missionary today? You say, Pastor, this is a tough message. I felt pretty convicted. I don't have that joy you're talking about. And tell God. Say, God, I'm missing that joy in my life. Forgive me. Restore that joy, God. Help me get my priorities straight. You say, Pastor, I got really convicted when you talked about encountering God. I haven't encountered God for a long time. I'm so busy. I, I don't take time in his word. I don't take time to pray with him like I should. And when I do, it just feels like I'm checking off the list. Then ask him to forgive you. He's a good and gracious and forgiving God. And make up your mind that from now on, you're going to meet him every day. You're meet him in his word. Meet him in prayer. Just be with him. You say, Pastor, I, um, I was doing really well to that last message, and I know I'm compromising my life sexually. I'm looking at porn. I'm living with somebody. I'm lusting. I'm having some issues in other areas of my life that are not pleasing to God. I'm trying to, like, live in both worlds. Ask him to forgive you today. Ask him to clean your life up. Make a commitment that from this moment on, you're going to seek to live in obedience with him. He gave you this wonderful gift called your will. Exercise it today. You don't have to sin. You can choose not to sin. So Lord, all over this place, hear our prayers. We walked into this room thinking, oh, this is about those missionaries. And you, Lord, You found us on the road and you ambushed us today. And you said, no, it's not about them, it's about you. You're my missionary. I want to use you. Will you let me? How are you going to answer that question today to your Lord? Will you let him?